Talking to Lauren McGahey made me realize exactly where we are with the epidemic of gun violence in this country. Lauren reports for the Dallas Morning News. I caught up with her as she was preparing to cover the National Rifle Association convention in Houston last week. Before that, she'd been covering the Uvalde school shooting. And when I asked her exactly how many mass shootings she'd reported on in the last few years, she had a list. There was the one at a Sutherland Springs church in 2017. There was the 2018 Santa Fe High School shooting. And then I was in a shooting, a mass shooting in New Orleans in 2013. And I ended up writing something more personal off of that, but I wasn't. I was there, so it wasn't really like I was meant to be covering it. I feel like just the fact that you have covered two or three, been in one, it just seems to, I don't know, to me it just points out how how common these have become. Yeah, I think sometimes here in Texas it feels even more common. Um, I mean, we have to remind ourselves that the state is so huge, but we've had five, six, depending on how you define them, um, since 2015. And uh, it had been a while since we'd had one. So it, it this one, in so many ways, just hit extra hard. Lauren and her colleagues even created a map of every mass shooting in Texas since 1966. There were shootings at churches, restaurants, even a roller rink. It feels kind of impossible in a moment like this not to look to political leaders for some kind of change. What has Governor Abbott said in response to what happened in Uvalde and just the history of violence? Sure. Um, the, The political response this time around has been really different than the last several shootings in Texas. Um, Why do you say that? This time around, there just doesn't seem to be any discussion, at least here in Texas, on the ground of gun restriction laws, uh, background checks, red flag laws. I know they're happening in Washington, but right now we're just not hearing that from the Republican leadership. Instead, when Governor Greg Abbott held a press conference in the hours after the shooting, he talked a lot about mental health. Anybody who shoots somebody else has a mental health challenge, period. And then the governor's presentation got interrupted by Beto O'Rourke, the Democrat who is running to replace him in the fall. Excuse me. Sit down. You're out of you're out of line and an embarrassment. Sit down and don't play this stuff. No, he needs to get his ass out of here. This isn't the place to talk to This is totally predictable. To me, it just showed how stuck we are where the politicians aren't talking to each other in some back room. They're not really able to talk to each other at all. They're just yelling at each other's press conferences. Yeah, you know, it was it, it was um it was surprising. I think people want to feel something right now and so If anger is the thing they want to feel, that's, you know, that's their prerogative. But we're just not seeing any real movement on discussion of solutions right now.
Today on the show, lawmakers in Texas have talked openly about changing gun laws before Uvalde. So why not after? I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next? Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When Lauren McGahey thinks about the moments when Texas might have taken up new gun legislation over the last few years, she thinks back to 2018 first. That's when eight students and two teachers were killed at a Santa Fe high school. And for a brief period of time, Republican politicians seemed to say enough. Governor Greg Abbott suggested he'd be in favor of a so-called red flag law that would restrict firearm access for those who are mentally ill or in crisis. That was a really interesting moment to see him call for that. And we all wrote a million stories on it. Because you were surprised? Yeah, yeah. We were seeing the Republican leaders of the state actually calling or openly discussing some kind of restriction on guns. It, it was unusual. But, you know, the local arm of the NRA came, it was, has always been very against red flag laws. Some other proponents of less restrictions on guns came out. And he, Abbott didn't see a ton of support, he said, in the legislature for that. And so it kind of just petered out. So these discussions that have taken place in the last few years, it's kind of like in the moment, everyone feels like there needs to be a serious talk about solutions. But, you know, the news cycle moves on, something else happens, or the moment passes, and we end up further loosening gun laws in the state rather than putting any real restrictions in place. Yeah, just a year or so after the Santa Fe shooting, when people were killed at that El Paso Walmart, and then a few weeks after that, people were killed in a shooting spree in Midland and Odessa. It was another moment where the governor and his even his lieutenant governor, who's more conservative than Governor Abbott, they started talking even about background checks for stranger-to-stranger -stranger gun sales. And that also seemed like a big step. When that happened, did you think, OK, maybe this is going to change again? When Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick said that he would be interested in discussing Stranger to stranger background checks. I thought, yes, this could be a moment where things are changing. I think he actually said he was willing to take an arrow and defy the NRA. So when I heard that, I thought, this is serious. This could actually happen. But then that too also just kind of died out. Um, it did feel like these, all of these proposals just in the moment, people were riled up and passionate. And then enough time passed uh, and without the 
support that they thought that they wanted from their Republican colleagues in the legislature, and it just didn't happen. What happened instead was a loosening of gun restrictions time and again. We don't have that many uh, restrictions left to loosen up. So a lot of it is it seems like small changes, but... Do you need a license or a permit or anything? So in 2021, they did away with the licensing to carry a handgun in public. Um, that was like one of the biggest restrictions that was still on the books. So now we have unlicensed open carry of handguns and unlicensed open carry of rifles, or AR-15s and, and the like. That's just been legal for basically forever. So if you see someone walking down the street with a gun on their hip or even a, a long gun, a rifle, that is legal as long as they are legally able to own that gun. And then there were a couple other things that were tweaked, like state legislators made it easier to carry a gun during a natural disaster. And that was after Hurricane Harvey. They made it easier to carry a gun into a house of worship. That was after Sutherland Springs. So now if you want to carry into a church or a synagogue or whatever, technically it's unless there's an, an explicit restriction from the faith leader of that congregation, then it's just understood to be legal. Yeah, that one surprised me because the Sutherland Springs massacre where 26 people died, that was in a church. So the response to a church shooting was more guns in church. Yeah, that's right. I mean, having covered that shooting personally, you know, Sutherland Springs is, is a very small town. It's not even a town. It's an un unincorporated area and very conservative and religious. And there weren't calls many at all coming from the people of that town who were affected by the shooting for gun control. They weren't saying, you know, this is the time to crack down on guns. And in fact, the two guys who chased down the shooter in the Sutherland Springs church shooting ended up becoming big gun legislation advocates. One of them now goes and, and speaks about the need for quote unquote, good guys with guns kind of a thing. So, you know, that was actually coming bubbling up directly from the people affected with that shooting. So it's important to note that the community where the shooting happens at each of these communities is so radically different. And El Paso is so different from Sutherland Springs, is different from Uvalde, is different from Santa Fe. And the, the demands of those communities may differ as well. Are looser gun laws what the people in Texas want? Well, which constituents, <laughs> right? I mean, which constituents are you talking about? The ones that vote in a Republican primary would probably oppose gun restrictions. And frankly, those are the ones with the political power because they get out and they vote and they vote for Republicans and they keep Republicans in power. If you look at the polling in Texas, you know, there was one last year taken that showed that a majority of Texans did not want permitless carry. That was that, you know, unlicensed open carry of guns. Majority of, of Texans didn't want that. But if you look at the party by party breakdown, again, you're going to see that divide between Republicans and Democrats. And then if you break it down even more and you look at primary voters, that's who the constituency is when you're talking about Republican leaders in Texas. And if they don't want more restrictive gun laws, then it's probably not going to become something serious in the legislature unless there is some other kind of outside force pushing it. After the break, the governor now says he wants to prevent school shootings by addressing mental health. But it's not that simple. 
This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Part of what makes it hard for Texas politicians to act after these mass shootings is their legislative calendar. Barring a special session, lawmakers only meet every other year. So when a shooting happens in an off year, as it did in Uvalde, there's time for public pressure around guns to fade. Regardless, Lauren says the next few weeks are going to be crucial to determining whether the state government is going to take any responsibility for what happened at Robb Elementary School and try to prevent similar events from happening again. It was important after the other shootings, Santa Fe and, and these other ones from several years ago, Abbott actually had roundtable discussions. They were really in-depth, really serious. I mean... Were they public? No, they were all behind closed doors. But at the end of those discussions where he had teachers that were affected in the Santa Fe shooting, he'd had law enforcement officials and more, and legislators, he came out with recommendations. This is when they were talking about school hardening. This is when the red flag recommendation came out. So that was all after these really in-depth, really serious roundtable discussions happened. We have not seen Abbott say anything about having those again. So maybe he'll say that in the next few days, but right now we're not hearing that. And when these shootings happened before, it was within those first several days that the governor said, we need to sit down and talk about this. And we're, we're just not hearing him say that yet. It was interesting to me to hear the governor talk about mental health because a lot of people criticized that thought that mental health funding is what we need because, of course, Texas didn't expand Medicaid, didn't make health care more available to its citizens when it could have. So the idea that solving mental health might solve this crisis of shootings 
it's a little hard to sort of connect those dots when you're not funding mental health in the first place. Yeah, you know, there was a Houston Chronicle investigation, I think it came out last year, about how the state has approached mental health and funding, you know, across the board, kids, adults, everything. And they found that, you know, the state hasn't adequately dedicated itself to this problem. Obviously, it's an incredibly complex one, but there have been proposals that just haven't really seemed to work. There were a lot, there was a lot of attention paid after the Santa Fe shooting to monitoring social media of students. And we've seen a bit of a pattern of, and this has happened elsewhere, it's not just Texas, but you know, these for-profit companies that will come in and they'll have an app or a software and they'll say, well, you know, this will allow you to respond more quickly to a school shooting, or this app will allow you to monitor social media for signs of a student who may you know, be struggling. And none of those things have really panned out to this point, but the state has invested in them. And in fact, the Uvalde school district had invested and purchased, spent state money on a product that one of our reporters investigated to monitor social media. And its its purpose was to catch signs of someone struggling, pictures of guns, you know, mention of going to a school or whatever, but this was not caught. You know, in the hours after the Uvalde shooting, Texas politicians started talking about, you know, giving their reactions to what had taken place and their suggestions for what could have prevented the violence. And I heard again and again the idea of hardening schools, potentially arming people inside schools. And in the days since... We've heard so much about how the good guys with guns, quote unquote, didn't seem to make a difference here. They didn't prevent the shooter from going into the school. And parents have put out these videos where they're yelling at the police, like, do something, do anything. And the police aren't acting. I wonder if you think that information could shift the conversation in Texas at all about what needs to be done to prevent a shooting like this one? Yeah, there's still so much we don't know about what happened in Uvalde. And I think at least, you know, where we sit now, it's really difficult to say where people fell down on the job potentially, right? But you're right. The One of the first things that Republicans proposed after this week shooting was, you know, more guns in the hands of teachers. In Texas, teachers can already be armed. They've actually tried to expand that program in the past. And the thing is, is that like not a lot of teachers want to do it. <laughs> so it's not super popular. But like right now we have hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of schools, and the state only has 256 school marshals. That's armed teachers and personnel. So for that to be the main proposal or a top proposal, it's just, it's not a popular program. Most teachers, as we can tell, are not taking advantage of this. And so it's not going to suddenly explode across the state because politicians have already tried to expand it and it's just not happening. Can I ask you a personal question? Uh, maybe. <laughs> I may not answer. <laughs> I mean, you've written about being a survivor of gun violence yourself. You were 
at a parade in New Orleans in 2013 when someone opened fire on Mother's Day. I I wonder how an experience like that intersects with your work as a journalist at a time like this. Um, Well, the shooting in New Orleans, 20 people were shot and no one was killed, which is remarkable. Um, One person did die several years later after, I mean, her body was just, she was so badly injured and she was also a journalist. Covering the 2017 shooting in Sutherland Springs, um, it was my first time covering a shooting as a journalist, a, a mass shooting. And I got really invested in going back and getting really deep into these stories. And I think at a certain point, I realized that like, I was almost like working out (laughs) what happened to me through that. Like, I, I can't really explain it, but I've been thinking about it a lot lately that I was almost wanting to do right by that story because I would have wanted someone to do right by me. Do you still hear from the people that you talk to in Sutherland Springs? Yeah. uh, I kind of disconnected, um, not in any, like, I'm not going to talk to you way, but there was a moment where I was like, okay, I'm going to kind of leave this community be. Um, I'm still Facebook friends with a lot of people um, from the community. And this is the Uvalde shooting has hit them really hard. Solon Springs is near San Antonio and San Antonio is about an hour, a little bit more from Uvalde. So these, it's not that far apart. And, um, you know, I, I ended up speaking with a woman who I hadn't touched base with in a long time this morning from Sutherland Springs. What'd she tell you? Uh, she told me that she told me that she was really struggling um, and she told me she was going to get on the road and go to Uvalde with their big Sutherland Springs banner, which is something she does now every time there's shooting. And she is an amazing cook. She was known as the taco lady for a long time. And mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if she brings tacos <laughs> with her. Um, but it's like. I don't think she had really worked through how she was feeling about Uvalde because she just wanted to kind of go there and be helpful. And there's no way to wrap your head around what happened there. I mean, there's, there's no way to wrap your head around any of these things. Um, But, you know, 19 kids is especially tough. And there were kids that were killed in the church in Sutherland Springs and um, several of them that were related you know, directly to her. And I think that she just felt it even more acutely. Does someone like that woman, the taco lady, does she think about political action too? Or does that just seem not worth it in some way? You know, uh, with her, I don't, I don't, I didn't bring it up. I really just wanted to know how she was. And She didn't bring it up to me.
You know, after your own experience with a mass shooting back in 2013, you talked about wanting to join the growing ranks of people determined to start figuring out how we deal with gun violence. It's like almost a decade later, I feel like having watched that decade from the perspective of a journalist, especially a journalist who's covered shootings in Texas in particular, do you feel like we're any closer to figuring it out? I mean, if you just look at what has, if you just look at what's happening, you would have to say no. Lauren, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I'm really grateful. Thanks for tackling this issue. It's it's a tough one. I, I hope I hope we start to get something right. Lauren Megahi is an investigative reporter for the Dallas Morning News. And that's our show. What next is produced by Carmel Del Shad, Elena Schwartz, and Mary Wilson. We are led by Alicia Montgomery and Joanne Levine. We're getting a ton of support right now from Sam Kim and Anna Rubinova. And I'm Mary Harris. We'll be back in this feed bright and early tomorrow. I'll catch you then. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I'm Dahlia Lithwick, and I'm host of Amicus. Slate's podcast about the law and the U.S. Supreme Court. We are shifting into high gear, coming at you weekly with the context you need to understand the rapidly changing legal landscape. The many trials of Donald J. Trump, judicial ethics, arguments and opinions at SCOTUS. We are tackling the big legal news with clarity and insight every single week. New Amicus episodes every Saturday, wherever you listen.